Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dominic from Gold Street Garner. We're so thankful to have you on our podcast channel. Today's episode features a message entitled, The Depths of Selah. This mysterious word makes its first appearance in Psalm chapter 3, and by consensus from many theologians, this word is a musical cue or direction to a choir or band. But upon further examination, this word means to pause, be still, and to reflect. And in the middle of David's prayers to God, he would insert this word, Selah, and he would then meditate and let God animate his imagination with his glory and speak to him in the silence that he offered unto the Lord to speak to him. I'm telling you, this message is going to bless you and enhance your prayer life and private devotion to the Lord. We love you all. Be blessed. What we're at tonight, if everybody could say this, say the depths depths. of Selah. We're going to talk about this word, this mysterious word in in the Psalms, and it appears in the book of Habakkuk three times, because it's a song, is this word Selah, and we're going to get into it in a moment. I just want to get us started here, but has anybody heard the word Selah before in the Bible? A lot of times you'll hear of a translation, like the Bible is a translation, and then there's a transliteration, and the word Selah is actually a transliteration because it's the same it's the same word in English and in Hebrew. It's, it's just a word, Selah, and it's actually a mysterious word that in some of your Bibles, it won't even appear, or it'll just say interlude or things like that because theologians fight over what the meaning of this word is. And I don't know why, but they fight over what the meaning of this word is. And it's a, it's, they all agree that it's a musical, it's a musical direction to a band or to a group of singers which I agree with, I believe, because if you know anything about the Psalms, a good amount of them are songs. They are, they are songs. And this word Selah appears a lot in the book of Psalms, specifically when David is writing. And when he's writing, you find this word, and it means that if you go through all the different things that, did you know one thing about music, not to get too far off in music, but did you know silence is the bed that music, you know, rests on? Like, part of a good song is knowing where to put silence, knowing, knowing that in between beats, in between music notes, there's silence. If anybody's ever done anything with a musical chart before, you don't just hit every little thing unless it's some crazy, like, Beethoven piece. But it's just, if you're just like, if it's just music, there's supposed to be there's supposed to be pauses in between. And that's because prayer is like a song. And that it's not just supposed to be you talking the whole time. In fact, we've said this so many times, but there, I, there's some new people. I want That if you do all the talking in prayer, you have no clue what prayer is. Prayer is a, a dialogue, not a monologue. And a lot of people treat prayer as it's all on them to talk. In fact, true prayer is letting God in you talk to God above you. It's a letting the Holy Spirit pray through you to commune with God the Father on behalf of Jesus. That you want the, the Spirit of God to, to, to deposit heaven's desires in you and then they blossom out of your mouth with convicted confession. 
There, you know why the Bible says to meditate on the word of God? Because Jesus is the word. Okay, just think about this for a second. Jesus is the word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in Revelations, it says that his, his robe was dipped in blood and his name was the word of God. So why would God want you to meditate on his word? So that way, when you speak his word with faith, what does God hear? He hears Jesus. He doesn't hear just your confession. Jesus is the word of God. So when you begin to speak the word of God in faith, God hears his son. That'll change you. That'll, we can go home on that right there. When you're pro There's not a more powerful prayer than speaking what he told you to speak. It's not you conjuring. There, some of you need to find yourself in the Psalms. If you've been having a hard time praying, read the Psalms out loud and try to find where you're at in life. Because the Psalms go through all the different seasons of distress, different seasons of joy, different seasons. And those Psalms help us find ourselves in God. And I wanna, I wanna share that to help us get to where we need to tonight. But we are gonna, we're gonna hit some things hard tonight and some demons are gonna be very uncomfortable tonight. And they should be. There should never be demons that are comfortable in the church, amen? amen. Did you know the first place Jesus cast a demon out was in a synagogue? It wasn't out on the streets. It was in the synagogue. Because pride is where demons find refuge in your heart. Pride is where demons find refuge in your soul and your heart. And when you're prideful and you're not vulnerable and lay it all out before the Lord. If you could close your eyes, I wrote this prayer today. Because if I'm telling you to write prayers, we're going we're gonna to write prayers. Lord, you are the desire of our eyes, the song of our ears the amen of our prayers, the artist of our lungs, the ravishing treasure hunt of our hearts. Be the supreme influencer of our thoughts and conduct our voices as you do the wind to manifest the works of your divine plan. Holy Spirit, teach us to receive the agape love of the Father and sway our hearts more and more to love Jesus the bridegroom with the precise love he deserves from his bride. Amen. Just the slightest taste, just the slightest foretaste of his glory will cause you to forget your greatest struggle. Just the slightest taste of his glory. I, I'm, I get very concerned with the church that we, we, we think that we find answers, we think that we find peace through through so many different measures than actually just getting alone with God. There's a difference between getting alone to be by yourself and getting alone to be with God. One ends with freedom, the other ends in depression. Getting alone to be with God is a precious gift that we all have been given. It is, it is so special that we're, I'm learning more and more how I, I'm not, and I'm just, I'm trying to help you all realize that like I sometimes, and 
I feel like I become less and less functional as a regular person when I get away from the secret place because I've made it a home. And a secret place is not just a room. It can be a, a, an isolated room. And I, I highly encourage you, if you got to have a closet, if you got to just shut all the doors to your car, get alone, say you don't have any of those things. The secret place is when you close your eyes and you see everything. You close your eyes and you, you begin to see him. That's why he gave us an imagination. It's so that his word would create imagery for who he is in our hearts. And that we would, he would give us dreams, he would give us visions. Did you know some of you need to start asking God to speak to you while you sleep? Did you know God watches over you while you sleep? How many think that's amazing? It's a little creepy if you don't, you know, but no, I'm just playing. He watches over us while we sleep because that's how much of a lover he is. That he won't that he, want, he loves to see us rest, and it's actually the place where the least amount of doubt can affect his, his still small voice. Do you know the reason why Lazarus came out of the grave? It's because when you're dead, you always obey Jesus. <laughs> the reason Lazarus came out of the grave is because you'll always obey when you're dead. But the more you live for yourself, the more you will end up taking detours. And the Lord gave me a vision recently, and uh, he was trying to share with me that, and this is, I just, it was an impression in my heart that I saw a vertical line to him, and I saw that my hesitation and sometimes disobedience causes me to grow diagonally. And God wants me to go vertical to him, and because of compromise that I'm still moving forward, but it's gonna take me way longer to get to where he has for me. And it's important that we learn the rhythm of his heartbeat in prayer and go this direction and Lord help us, help us, help us here. So I wanna read Psalm 145 because we love the word of God, amen? Did you know that if all I did was read the word to you tonight, that it would be more effective than me getting up here to say one scripture and try to share a bunch of nice little topical things. That the word of God, do we believe it is sharper than any two-edged sword? That it pierces. Psalm 145, it starts like this. It says, verse one, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Now, if you can read that verse and just be like, oh, that's nice. Do you understand David's writing this? And he is, when we say forever, when we say that, when we think eternal, it, sometimes it's ho-hum to us. But Jesus is, wants us to come to a place. Did you know Jesus never talked about the afterlife? He only talked about life. He never used the term afterlife. He always used the term life because the Bible says in John 17, three, to know him is eternal life. And a lot of us make a mistake of realizing that God is calling us into the reality of eternity now, not later. Now is where we need the conviction of eternity, amen? Verse two, everyone say every day. Every day. 
so that does, does that just mean on church days? Does that just mean on the days that you feel a little better or you got a raise or the days that somebody talked nice to you or you got, you know, an extra something at, at when you were ordering, they put extra fries in or something? No, it's, it says every day I will bless you. Did you realize that this does, it does not matter how you feel. Every day we bless him because whether he does something else for you or not, he is worthy just because he's Jesus. Do you understand that? that, that that'll revolutionize your heart because so many people are waiting to praise God based off their next breakthrough instead of realizing he's the breakthrough himself. He is the door. Stop looking for another one. We need to truly see him for who he is. And that comes through prayer and intimacy with him. I will praise your name forever and ever. And then this is the verse right here. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I, maybe I'm just like on a kick lately when it comes to poetic. But great is the Lord and greatly is he to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. This sounds like a lover that is saying that he is infinite, yet he's asking us, the finite, the finite, to come after him and search something that is, it's, it's immense, it's immeasurable, and every day we can, we can search it again. Every day we can search him and find something we did not know before. Do you realize that, that, that every day you encounter God, you will learn something new. I, I've said to myself, and this is a personal conviction, if I don't know Jesus more today than I did yesterday, I'm backsliding. If I don't know him more today than I did yesterday, I'm backsliding. It's, 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 not, it's not even hard to understand that because if, he is, if his greatness is unsearchable and it's not just something you can say, oh, I got it. No, he's asking us to go on, as we prayed, a ravishing treasure hunt that every day we discover something new about him. And did you know you could ask him that in prayer? That instead of just the things you really want, what if you woke up every day and say, God, could you show me something new about you today? Sometimes you wonder why your life is the way it is and maybe it's because of the lack of your love in prayer. Did you know some of the best things I've ever learned was because I learned to ask the right questions? In prayer, sometimes I think we're so asking for only carnal things that we have no idea of what waits for us in the spiritual realm. Our whole prayer lives are based around carnality, things of this world, and the enemy's like, they're never gonna reach their potential because all they're, they're, they're just excited about just these ho-hum things in life. And God wants to take care of those things. I'm not here to say, he promises it in Matthew 6, that he'll take care of that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. First, not, not a close second. First, what does that mean? It means that when I have downtime, it's his time. I don't need a relief from Netflix. He is my relief. That's hard for some people because the world has you very wound up. And I understand I was there. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm so done trying to preach a watered-down gospel. He is enough. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has there ever been the moments in worship and you just get to taste a little bit of him? And you're like, what do I have to do to get another taste? I've, I've shared before when I used to be hooked on cocaine, you know what I would do? I would, I would shake my car mats just to find a little bit. When I didn't have money, I would shake my car mats and be like, could I just find a little bit that I could snore just a little bit? If I did that for the world, Jesus is way more worth any, and he has unsearchable riches. I knew what a high would get me. I knew what yade up would be. I knew those things, but there's something that God is calling us into that is transcendent to any earthly desire. Amen. Great is the Lord and he's greatly to be praised. These quick verses I want to fire at you. Galatians 4.19. This has been my prayer for you all. And I pray that you would pray for me and pray for people in your sphere. But in Galatians 4.19, Paul says that I labor in birth pangs until Christ is formed in you. If you're, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians at all, Paul had preached to the church and the region of Galatia and Asia Minor, and he told them about the gospel, and then they started relying on their own religious merit that they thought that they were saved because of what they, how holy they were or how, how great they were, how many times they attended church service and things like that. It was circumcision, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to translate the culture so you understand. But Paul told them, he said, you've lost sight of how amazing he is. You're thinking that it's just because of how great you are in following this book that why everything's okay and people want to hear you. He said, I labor in birth pangs. This is a man saying, I labor in birth pangs. He would get so much criticism on social media from the feminists. They would be like, how can this man? He's like, but he was saying that, he labors in birth pangs until Christ is formed in them. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to throw myself in prayer until the reality of how amazing he is just completely ruins your life in the best way. And what I mean by that is you can't go back to normal life. You, you, you've just been so, and that's why Ephesians 3, Paul prayed, beloved, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee. So what is he doing? He's praying before the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, the church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might in your inner man by his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses all understanding, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, that we ask or think according to the power that's at work with him, now to him be glory in the church forever and ever to all generations. Amen. This prayer that Paul prays, one of the big things, it's all spiritual, that, that, they would, that they would understand the riches of his glory. And not only would they understand, but they would be rooted and grounded in what? His love. Not love is love. He is love. Not our definition. God is love. And the world and the devil 
want to pervert what is holy, what is sacred, because whatever he can do to spit in the face of God, he will. But guess what? Let his smile, let us feel the warmth of his smile upon our hearts tonight. Let us feel the countenance of the Lord smiling upon our hearts. Everybody say this. You are only reachable when you're teachable. You are only reachable when you're teachable. If you're not willing to be taught, and how much more do we need to be taught how to pray? Does anybody think they're a master of prayer in here? Just want to make sure. Prayer. The more I pray, the less I realize I, I don't, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm talking to the creator of the universe. And sometimes I act like it's not a big deal. He loves me. He loves you. In fact, his, he desires to reveal himself to you more than you want him to reveal himself to you. He loves you more than you, he loves you more than your greatest definition of love and more than your greatest definition of more. He loves you so much. And if you knew how much you were loved, all your problems would fade away. You, <laughs> Michael Koulianos always said, I love what he said. He said, you don't, he said, you're not even praying until you, you forget you are. You're not even worshiping until you forget you are. If you can still call it worship, you haven't tapped in yet. Because once you get caught in his glory, that's it. You don't want anything else. And that's why we want a house, we want a group of, we want a people that are so hungry for his presence that nothing else is okay. That if programs start replacing presence, then I'm out of there. I don't want any part of it because programs aren't gonna change souls. His presence will. If we host his presence, we will see more healings accidentally than trying to uh, throw anointing oil on everybody and lay a hand. We will see the glory of God manifest. Amen. How many people want to see more? Do you know, uh, come on, do you, you know, when we were here in this room Sunday, we prayed for three hours. You know what we did? We contended and we beheld. We would read scripture, we would shout. There was a moment that we shouted together in unison. Nobody said, all right, shout on the count of three. All of a sudden, at the same time, it was like two and a half hours in, we all at the same time started yelling at the top of our lungs and it sounded like heaven blew through the room. That's called tapping into something. That, 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 that God is trying to bring us into something way more special than what we have. And if we wanna see it, we gotta be willing to go. You gotta be willing to say, I'm, I'm not okay with regular services anymore. That, that when you come to Gold Street, I really, I really want you to believe like this could be the night that he just, he busts the, 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 the roof open and just says, hi, hi kids. <laughs> like that, that's where I want, that's where I want our faith to be. And I, I, 
we want, you see, the reason we continue to teach and we continue to preach is because we, we want to teach him into manifestation. We want to preach him into manifestation. We want to prophesy him into manifestation. We want to evangelize him into manifestation. We want to love each other to see Jesus manifested. This is what it's all about, is a place where he feels at home. Not a place where he's, a, where he's just a tourist, but he's a resident. Amen. There's a lot of tourists in the secret place, but God's looking for those that will dwell there. I actually believe God is looking for, for lovers. You know what I mean by that is there's so many people that just go into prayer to ask him for things. And you have to believe that there's something about somebody that, that takes time out of their day, not to tell them what they want, but just to worship him. Just to be like, you know what, God? I got a lot going on today, but I'm going to give you 10 minutes right now, throw my phone aside, and I'll dance. Some of us just think that's crazy, but I'm telling you, the Bible says to dance. Some of you are way too dignified. The king of when David said the presence of God came back into, when he brought it back in, nobody else was dancing and he made a fool of himself before everyone. And even his wife at the time said, how, you know, mocked him and said, how dare. And he said, woman, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'll become even more undignified than this. That's what he said. He said, I'll get even more crazy. And it's not because of emotion or hype. It's because I know what his presence did. David knew, David knew that the only reason he was king is because as a young boy, God saw him in the fields and anointed him. And David knew the only reason he was king is because God chose him. And he didn't want to ever be confident as a king that he was a, a great warrior or anything, he just knew that I'm gonna love his presence because that's the only reason I am who I am today. Is there anybody with me tonight that we love him for who he is? A lot of people's giftings are destroying their call because they're more confident in their gifting than who God called them to be. They're forgetting they're the family of God and they're just being performers for God. So say la. I was never a sermon guy. I don't know why. I want to be vulnerable with you. What I do on a weekly basis is I read until I can't read no more. I pray as much as I can so that way when I stand before people that he flows out of me because I have nothing to say. I shouldn't be where I'm at. It's all because of him. And I want people to feel him. And I don't want just, I don't want to regurgitate a sermon I heard. I don't even like regurgitating sermons that he gave me in the past because he has something new today. So I'll put, sometimes my notes are more for me, just so I can say the first line. Because it's not about getting all of it out, it's just, did he show up? Was he blessed? Were our hearts changed? It's the things that we truly need to weigh. So, 
there's a, can somebody grab me a tissue real quick? Thank you, CJ. Thank you. Yeah, I'll probably need a little back. It's a good call. Good call. Wisdom. Are you guys good for a few more? There's a, there's a quote from a famous minister, and he said, this was from the 1800s, he said this, he said, the richness of God's word ought to determine our prayer, not the poverty of our heart. That the richness of God's word should dictate the conversation we have with God, not the poverty of our heart. In fact, the fact that you realize you need God actually just reveals the capacity to hold him. That when you realize you need him, it's actually revealing there's room for more of him. And the, the poverty of your heart is just waiting for God to park his love. How can we manifest heaven with earthly expectations? We need to go deeper and we need to see what he sees and feel what he feels. And this is what is called intercession. We have three words that we're going after as a body. I want you to, to, to tattoo these on the back of your eyeballs. That intercession, evangelism, and discipleship. And the reason we are going after it this way is because intercession is where you get God's heart to evangelize, and then the evangelizing gets the fish, and then we disciple them. But it all started in a prayer room. What I feel, and I, I, want to be, I want to be repentant, I actually feel like we're actually having to catch up and spend more time in the prayer room because we got a little ahead of ourselves by being overzealous for evangelism and things, but God says, I will only give you what I know you will steward well. And I know you will only steward it well is if my heart becomes your heart. We said this last week, there's a quote from a song I really like, uh, and it says that God let our hearts die and left his beating in our chest. That's what intercession is, is that you begin to feel the tears of Jesus. You begin to, to sense the blood of Jesus dripping in the garden of Gethsemane when you pray and you realize that I haven't, I haven't gone to the depths that he desires. We've said this too, uh, that the wounds in Jesus' hands. You know that we do so much with our hands, don't we? We receive with our hands. We wipe tears away with our hands. Our hands, we, we do everything. We don't realize how much we do with our hands. It becomes casual. And Jesus chose forever, forever, that his hands would have the markings of the nails. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. He chose that his hands would always have those marks. And it says in Psalm 145, 16, that when he opens his hand, he satisfies every desire of every living thing. How many people believe that that's not just what he has in his hand, but it's the scars in his hand bring satisfaction to every creature because when you see his hands, that you'll always know your value, you'll know your price. And I wanna challenge you that when you search the depths of his wounds, you will reach, you will ascend into the heights of his love. That when you search the depths of his wounds, you'll ascend into the heights of his love. That every day you need to learn more about 
the cross, the wounds, the price that he paid, because that's where your value lies. That's where the, the Bible says that the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. Isn't that, a, that's crazy. That all of who he is is found in that, that sacrifice. This, this, it's a, the craziest love story of all time. So I really want to, so this is where we're going to go. And then Psalm 3 I want to set the stage for this because this is where we'll, we're going to get to major deliverance tonight and go into greater depths with God. To Selah in Psalm 3, I want to set the stage for this. This is the first time the word Selah appears in the Bible. And this is the thing. All you need to know about the word Selah is this, is it means to be silent, pause, and reflect. That's called what? Stillness. Did you know that intentional silence is a love offering to God? Intentional silence. That when you get alone with God, actually planned to shut your yapper. Some of the greatest things you'll ever hear will happen when you close your mouth in prayer. That if we believe he's real, we need to start praying like it. And if he's real, that means that we do less talking. Because he's smarter than us. You let the smarter person do the talking. And to some people, this is weird. Because silence is very weird to people. Some people can't handle silence because it exposes insecurities in them. And that's why silence is so good too, because it surfaces things. Some people can't be alone for too long because then they start thinking about too many things. Silence, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's something about being silent with God that brings healing, brings great healing. And to set the stage, I'm gonna give you the Reader's Digest, so please hear everything I'm about to say. I'm gonna give you a quick Bible course to hit this, and then we'll close. Does everybody believe we need to know more about the Bible? Know the stories well? There's a lot of Christians that don't, they don't even know one verse of the Bible, can't even quote one verse. I don't wanna beat people up, but you, know, you, you should spend more time memorizing than memeing. Memorize the word, get it in you that when you talk to people, it just comes out of you without you even thinking, oh, what's the best scripture I could say? What's the best? It'll just flow out of you. There's time, and I'm just being real, there's times with you, I, I, you know what I love to do? I love to sit down and talk with people that are just asking for biblical advice because I didn't even know what's in me until somebody asked me a question. Somebody will ask me a question. Sometimes, I, I've probably met with some people in this room, I probably went home and wrote down everything that came out. I was like, man, God, you're so smart. I could have never came up with that. I'm, I just made myself available to be used. And he'll start speaking through you. You know, you'll, you'll learn a lot more about God when you have you know, patience, compassion for people that you, you feel like you're annoyed by them, but actually if you would just sit there and let God speak through you, some of the greatest gems will come out. Um, so Psalm 3, let me share this, that David had, David was the most notorious king uh, known in the Old Testament for being king of Israel, king of Judah. He was, he was 
that Jesus actually coined the son of David. And David, his whole upbringing before he became king, he was anointed as a young boy. He was persecuted while he was pure before the Lord, that the king that was even over him at the time, Saul, was trying to kill him because David started flourishing under him. And he started persecuting David, and it was really bad. And David never sinned in that whole time. And he was, but when David became king, does anybody know that it seems like sometimes when everything's going right, the devil, that's when the devil comes in because he sees that you're resting on your own strength and your own confidence. And David has, he sees Bathsheba, this woman bathing on a roof, and he lures her to come to his chamber because he was supposed to be out fighting, but he's back. And David's been, had a, you know, just a great record up to this point. And then he brings this woman who's married to one of his soldiers that's out of battle. And he sleeps with her. Everybody said, uh-oh, Jerry Springer going on. So it's like, so he, he brings her and then, all, and then the next thing she gets pregnant. So now he's got to try to hide that sin. And he goes through this whole thing, and without going into the whole story, the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, David tries to bring him back and tries to get him to sleep with, your, uh, with Bathsheba so it would look like it was his baby, da-da-da. And then what David finally does is because this man's so loyal, he won't go uh, and do what David wants him to do. So David has him murdered. This king that he's been pure his whole life, all of a sudden, affair, murder, lying about it, everything. And the baby, actually, the Lord, doesn't, the, the Lord doesn't allow the baby to live from conception. And David, he worshiped before the Lord and fasted and all this, but then he took ownership of where he was at. But that one, that whole episode caused chaos the rest of David's life. That God forgave him, but he allowed the consequences to continue to go so that way those consequences would mold him into the character God wanted him to be. And that sometimes the consequences in our life that we want God to just take away is actually a chastisement, a molding mechanism to get your character where it needs to be. No, it's not a popular message, but it's in the life of David. So if you think you're better than him, but when you're reading this and you see that David has sons and one of his, right after this episode happens, one of his firstborn son, everybody say firstborn son. You got to follow me here. This is, is that Amnon. So Amnon's his firstborn son from a while ago and Amnon burns with lust for one of his half sisters named Tamar. It's weird, right? He burns with this lust that he wants to sleep with his half-sister. And he actually gets sick because he lusts so much. Did you know that sin will cause you to even get ill? That you'll lust for something that you'll want it so bad that it actually caused him to be sick, ill. And Tamar, her full brother, which was David's third oldest son is named Absalom. Everyone say Absalom. This is a very crazy story. It's found all through 2 Samuel, uh, 
chapter 12 to chapter 19. You can read about all of what I'm about to tell you. I'm just giving you Reader's Digest. So, so what Amnon does is Amnon tricks Tamar into coming to his room while he is sick to feed him with her hand. And the Bible says that he was stronger than her and he forced himself upon her. He raped her. And Tamar was shamed and disgusted. And you know what Amnon did right away? Is he said, get out of my room. I don't want anything to do with you because once he had his way with her, he didn't want anything to do with her because that's what sin does is sin become, it shows you something pleasurable and then as soon as you go through with it, it repulses you. And he threw her out and she was a virgin and she had a, a, a coat, a rainbow that, that the virgins wore of purity and she threw it off and she cried and she ran to Absalom. And she said, Absalom, Amnon raped me. And Am Absalom got enraged. He said, we got to go tell David, our father, the king. And it said David was mad, but he didn't do anything about it. He didn't do anything about it. Did you know how bad it is to suppress the way you feel about something? You know how bad it is to suppress those type of emotions? David didn't do anything about it. Absalom didn't do anything about it. And Amnon, who just raped, nobody does anything. They just let it go. But they're all mad inside. Nobody's talking. So Absalom waits a little bit, and he comes up with a plan. And he gets King David to sign off on it. They said, we're going to go out to dinner out of town. We're going to go to this feast. And they go to this feast. And, Amnon, and then Absalom tells his servants, he says, when, I set, when he's nice and drunk, I'm going to tell you all to strike him. You're killing him tonight. Absalom got so mad that his dad, the king, didn't do anything about it that he said, I'm going to take justice. And he killed his brother. Just think about this. This is why people are getting delivered tonight. David... What was his sins? He committed adultery. He lured a woman to his house. And then he had the husband of that wife murdered. What is happening in the next generation? One is raping and the other one's murdering. Because David didn't become vulnerable to the next generation with where he was at, those curses just went down the generation. This is why you got to be vulnerable in prayer. This is why you got to let things out. This is why you got to get before the Lord. And you need to let him touch your heart. And you need to say the things that made you mad, the things that you haven't spoken. You got to get it out. Because just think about David. Do you know what happened to David? Is that when David was a young boy, remember his own father didn't believe in him. Remember when the kings get called? And he put all of David's brothers in front of him, but he didn't even call David. So David grew up without a father who believed in him. So he was anointed to be king, but he was finding it hard to be a father. 
This is why so many people in life that they get gifted and they're called to do things, but you know what they don't have? Is that they forget that they're anointed to be fathers, mothers, anointed to be friends, brothers, sisters. They're anointed, but because they suppress emotions and suppress things, they become these horrible manifestations of demonic activity. And you know what Absalom does at this is that Absalom, once he kills his brother, he runs away to a, a place because he doesn't want to confront his father and he stays there for, everyone say, three years. Three years he runs away and David, King David and his son Absalom don't talk for three years about the murder of Amnon. They haven't talked about the rape. Now he's murdered and they're not talking for three years. And you know what the Bible says? It says David mourned every day for Absalom, but he wouldn't go because of pride. He wouldn't go because he didn't. And so three years go by and David is depressed because he's not channeling these things in his heart. He's depressed. He's not bringing it forward. You know what he does is that he... His right-hand man, Joab, brings a woman to come in and bring a prophetic word to try to, to, to get him out of this funk. And she says this word that makes his heart tender. And David says, okay, go get Absalom and bring him home. Check this out. Absalom comes home. Isn't this amazing? That it's like David's finally changed. And he's got, Absalom gets to the gates of the city. And Joab says, by the way, you can live back in the city, but the king doesn't want to see your face. After three years, this is the thing with forgiveness, is that David was willing to try to make it a little better just in the sight or just to make it feel. But then once it came time, he said, no, we'll just make it look like the formalities are okay, but I'm not going through with it. There's some people that you might come to church or you might try to pray to get things all together but it's all formal, it's not real. It's not you laying your heart on the altar. It's not you getting vulnerable, you being real before God. And then what happens after that is two years go by. Everyone say two years. So three years, they didn't talk and he was outside of the city. Then two years go by where they're living in proximity to each other, but they're light years away from intimacy, light years away from knowing each other, but they're close physically, but so far, intimately, spiritually, so far away. And Absalom says, I want to see the king. After two years, he starts getting mad. He says, I want to see my dad. I want to see him. I want to see him. And you know what happens is they keep denying his request. And you know what Absalom does? He becomes an arsonist. He starts burning things down in the kingdom because that's what happens when you continue to suppress. He starts burning things down and they're like, Absalom, what do you want? He's like, what do you mean what do I want? I want to see my father. I want to see the king that didn't do anything. Hasn't talked to me in five years. So you know what I've been going through? And all of a sudden, the king lets him into the courts and he kisses him, but they don't, that's actually a ritual that a king's supposed to do. When you come into his presence, you give a kiss. So once again, David just wanted to silence the noise, just simmer down and come in. I'll do some, you know, I'll let something nice happen. 
And he just gives this, you know what it says after that? Absalom said, that's it, I'm taking over the kingdom. And you know, from that day, Absalom started building an army. And then he would stand in front of the court of the king. He would stand in the king's court. And when people came to get advice from the king, he would say, the king's not here to speak today. If I was king, I would help you out. Why don't you tell me what's going on in your heart and I'll give you wisdom. So he stood in between David and the people and David didn't do anything about it. And Absalom began to turn the hearts of all the nation to him because David just kept silent. This is the, the, the son of David. Jesus says, but this is what he went through. This is the things that he went. So when you read the Psalms, these are things David is channeling when he's writing, singing to God. He's dealing with this oppression. He's dealing with these emotions. He's dealing with things. And after all this happens, David, then he goes before that he finally realizes Absalom's about to take over and he hears word that Absalom went away for a little bit and he took all these people with him and he's training and he's, getting, he's about to come and take over the throne. He's about to overtake it. And when he's about to overtake it, David doesn't want all the people to be destroyed. So he tries to get out and he takes the Ark of the Covenant with him, but then he sends it back because he, he wants the Lord to lead him there. And it's all this stuff goes on. But then what happens is Absalom dies in the battle. He dies in the battle. And after Absalom dies, David goes into the, the courts of the Lord, into the temple of the Lord, and he says, that should have been me, not Absalom. And everything he wanted to say, everything he wanted was too late. And he had already caused damage to the whole family from suppressing things. And we're talking the oldest brother dead. And then we have now the third oldest dead. And, and, and it's all because he wasn't vulnerable. He wasn't opening up. And all this stuff happens and all this chaos and you know, when David is saying that should have been me, the whole nation is saying, why are you crying for him? He was trying to destroy all of us. So now David is realizing that because he suppressed everything, that now everybody just, he's, he, he made it so about him and his selfishness that now everybody is wondering that why is he such a basket case? Why is he so crazy? And it's because he was living in his own world of just thinking, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. I know this is ministering to people tonight because it's the gospel. There's people that you're ignoring things just hoping it'll get better. There's conversations you need to have. There's prayer time you need to have. And you're wondering why you keep going around the same mountain and the same things. And I'm here to tell you it's because you're not addressing it. You're not, you're not getting real. And what you need to do, and I, I need you all to hear me very clearly, it's going to come to you. Gotta, if you really want to be set free from some of the things that are, that are tormenting you or from some of the triggers in your life, the insecurities, you're going to have to get serious about saying that I love Jesus more than I want to stay this way. And that means that it's time to start reading the word. It means it's time to start praying. And it means to start getting a couple of people in the body of Christ that can keep you accountable Everyone say accountable. accountable and being real with and vulnerable. And we're, we're, we're closing here. We get to Psalm three and this is it. David wrote this Psalm. He wrote this Psalm when he was running from Absalom, 
when he's running from his son. This is what he writes right here. He says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Everyone say, Selah. So what did he do here? He said, many are, he says, Lord, they're increasing who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me because Absalom raised up a whole army to come after David. Many are they who say to me, there is no help from him, from God. And then this is where he decides to pause and reflect because what he does is he brings the threat. He brings the reality of his situation before God and then he pauses and waits to hear what God has to say. In the middle of distress, in the middle of all this, he waits and this is what he says next because this is God conducting his voice. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Remember in Genesis 15, what did God say to Abraham? He says, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. David is quoting the word. He's saying, but you, Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Everyone say, Selah. This is the second one. So what he's doing now is he's, he, he's, he's drifting into Selah. That in your prayer time, that you bring your vulnerable self before the Lord, and then you pause, wait to hear from him. Wait to hear. And then you begin to start reading the word, confessing the promises of God. And then you be silent again and let him begin to serenade you with his heart and his wisdom. Amen. And you just, I'm telling you, you all, can you promise me this week that you're going to get silent before the Lord? Like get alone with him and just watch what he does. Give him that space. Give him that time. And it says, I lay down and slept and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. This is, he's got a whole army coming after him and he says he was able to sleep through it. He was able to find rest because he knew some of you have a hard time even finding rest in anything because it's, you're always finding these, these ruts that come back. But it's saying, did you know the only reason you woke up again today is because God still has a purpose for your life. It's not so you could go to your nine to five and go through your things. You actually woke up today. It's only because, as Nick even shared before, it's the grace that God sustained you today. And you need to ask him, why am I alive again, God? Have you prayed this way? Why am I still here? Not because you're depressed, but why am I still here? Because I wanna be used best by you today. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. And then he says, arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Everyone say, Selah. So even in the midst of this crazy struggle, he's taking time to be silent before the Lord, to hear what he's saying, to get all this. But I'm telling you, these generational spirits, these curses that, that go, some of you all just think that if I just think good thoughts, it'll go away. I'm here to tell you, you got to get vulnerable in the presence of the Lord. You have to lay it there, and then you have to bring the word of God to bring that sustain. And we said this, we were talking about God's wounds. Jesus' wounds, that we enter his wounds as sinners. But the stream of his blood makes us saints in his heart. 
that we enter the gates of his wounds as sinners, but then we enter his hearts as saints. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what's going on, it's the blood of Jesus that needs to be applied to your soul. Some of you are trying to scrub your souls clean. You're trying to scrub things out of your mind. You need the blood of Jesus to set you free. Because why is that important? Because that blood breaks the curse of the natural bloodline. It's his blood that sets you free. I'm going to give, this is what I want to do, is we're going to take communion right now. Is everybody thankful we're taking communion more as a body? So we're going to take communion, and right after communion, if you've never given your life to Jesus before, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and pray. Also, if this message penetrated you after we're done taking communion, I want you to come forth and we're going to lay hands on you. You're getting set free tonight. Amen. So let's take communion.